Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Garrett Mintz, is the founder and CEO of Ambition in Motion. He works to connect college students with mentors in their fields of interest so then students can gain greater insight into their potential career paths and the alumni can have greater engagement with their chapter or their alma mater, all cool stuff here. He is a passionate speaker and entrepreneur, a mentor matchmaker, and a potential unlocker, potential unlocker, think about that for a second, unlocking your potential, who specializes in helping people take massive action to help them get where they wanna be. And he teaches them the skills on networking, professional development, and relationship building, all pieces that a lot of college students, recent graduates don't have, and he gets them to where they need to be. It's a mutually beneficial relationship here. We connected a few weeks ago. We had a great chat. We got to know each other a little bit and I knew I had to have him on the show today to talk about some really important stuff and we're gonna dig in and all that. He's about to drop some knowledge. Garrett Mintz, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks man. I like it, that was a good intro. I try my best here. So why don't we start and just give my tribe a little bit of your origin story, your superhero story. Like when you first got bit by that spider, that radioactive spider, how did, how did we get to where we are today? Yeah, I mean, I got where I'm at today real quick. I just essentially noticed there was a problem. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, you get to that fuck it moment. And that's that moment where you realize I need to make a change. I need to make an impact. This is something that I need to do. And I think a lot of times it has to do with your social capital. So when you feel like your social capital is gone, you're, you, you've got nothing to lose. You're playing with house money now. You, 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 you say, fuck it, I'm gonna do this thing. And that's the, that's the moment. So for me, it was, I was in college. I saw a lot of my friends, older friends getting into jobs. They weren't passionate about it. They were leaving quick or they were staying, but they thought just like they were accepting that. They felt it was the thing they had to do, right? They had to do this. I have to go into finance. I have to go into investment banking. I have to be a lawyer. Exactly. That's exactly it. But they they didn't realize that careers are not linear. They're circular. They're all over the place. They're not like a direct path. And, um, my passion was how can I help expectations meet reality? So then when people wake up in the morning, they're excited to go to the work, and when they come home, they feel fulfilled. That is what I'm all about. I love it. And how did this start? What was that spark that you talked about before for you that, that pushed you in this direction? Yeah, so I talk a lot about, I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, a lot about social capital, because I think that's how a lot of entrepreneurs- Let's, let's, pa- let's pause for a second there, and we're yeah. gonna do a quick Merriam-Webster word definition blurb on the bottom, social capital. What does that mean for everybody? Social capital, at least how I define it, is your own perspective of yourself. When you think to yourself, like, who do I have to live up to be, to be the person that I I believe everybody else has an expectation of, that's like where I define social capital. This is why valedictorians very rarely become entrepreneurs or do extremely well in their careers because they feel like they've got all this pressure. Like, I'm a valedictorian. I have to live up to this thing. And that's, uh, that's bad. That's bad. I think... Yeah. So So I I cut you off there. So, right. So we we talked about that, like that spark, like how did this all come about? I mean, how did this mission come calling? How did it start? How did you generate all this fun times? 
Yeah, yeah. So it, it comes from not having fun times. It comes from falling flat on my face. Uh-huh. Uh, so from age 15 to age 19, rather, I'll just back it up. When I came to college, I thought success was you go to school, you get good grades, you get a job, and then you just find yourself and become happy. And that's just like how life worked. And um, something that I've learned over time is that one, people inherently will come up with problems, even if like someone's perceived as they having problems. Life. Totally. Everybody yeah. does. I think I even saw like a link that's like Kate Middleton, like whispered in an interview that like being part of royalty doesn't like, isn't all what it's cracked up to be. And I like, heard that on Howard's turn. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? That's crazy. Um, and like, I said, is this what you want? Like, this is like the top of the social ladder, please. Yeah. And I think that's exactly where I heard it. Huge fan of Howard Stern. Um, but uh, that's, that's exactly it. But the point is, is from age 15 to age 19, I was a drug dealer. So essentially I was selling weed. I was selling shrooms. I was selling, you know, ecstasy or whatever all throughout high school and my freshman year of college. And at the end of my freshman year, I got arrested in an undercover operation by the Indiana University Police Department. I got five. Busted. Yeah, busted. Yeah, I got five felony distribution charges. Um, I was expelled from school and that hit me like a brick wall. I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I mean, no one up to that point in time in my life that I had ever defined as successful ever was a drug dealer, ever got into trouble like that. So let's let's pause on that moment here because I want to dig into it because I think it's relatable too. And I've been in your shoes before, man. I've been in their exact shoes in college where you feel invincible and you feel, you know, nothing's going to happen to me. Nothing happens to people like me and you get careless and you try, you're like, you think you're careful with your shit, right? Like we know the game and you're trying to do that and, and one person gets pinched and then they're ratting or something. I don't want to get in, like too deep into your story what happened, but you think you're invincible. And then reality hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, holy shit. Not only the criminal stuff, but now I've disappointed my parents and my family and I got expelled for school. So tell me a little bit about that, that point when it kind of hit home to you. Where was it? Were you in the cell? Was it afterwards? Was it at your, you know, during the, the post arrest? Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Um, that's a great way of putting it. You're hundred percent right. There is that realization point of how you affect because you're right. That's literally it. When I was, see, here's the thing. When I got in trouble, that wasn't the first time I got in trouble. I had my room rate, my dorm room rated within two weeks of getting to college, but I didn't tell my parents. I just got a job, paid it off. There was this it out. program mm -hmm. and I just figured it out and I was like, okay, cool. Then like a month after the second semester started, I had my room rated again and they put me up to another pretrial diversion. Like I just kept telling myself like, oh, if I were a little bit safer, I won't get in trouble. Yeah. Don't keep and, this shit in your room. That's so, such a misconception. And then finally, yeah, there was a, there was a junior cadet program um where there was a uh, yeah someone who essentially was like undercover and that's exactly what had happened they had text messages they had a bunch of other things mm -hmm. and um but that it was the realization of i think after yeah getting getting pulled out of jail because when i when i got arrested it was during finals week and i wasn't focused on anything that was going on i was just focused on how can i just finish up my finals and not get in trouble and the way it had worked, and this is a crazy story, they had sent like undercover cops to all of our dorm rooms. Cause it wasn't just me, it was a sting. It was me and like 10 other people. They all came at four in the morning and I and the group of friends decided that we would go see the midnight airing of Fast and Furious 5. 
Uh, and so we decided to go watch that. And afterwards, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to sleep over at my friend's house. I didn't actually go back to my dorm room. Um, and that night, they had woken up my roommate. They had, they had like, arrested everybody else except for me and, like, I think maybe two other people. And, um, gosh, I was super lucky. Super, super lucky. I uh, um, got a call from my roommate being like, yo, come back. Like, the cops are looking for you. And I was like, shit. That is not the solution. Um, so I called my dad and uh, yeah, I ended up realizing that I've got five felony distribution charges and they're I, like, I've got a warrant for my arrest. And if I show up to my final later that afternoon, they're going to arrest me on the spot and I'm not going to take the final. So Shit. fortunately, the decision I was is to, that right? The decision you have to make. Yeah. So I ended up coming up with a solution. I ended up connecting well with a bail bondsman who was able to more or less get me relatively quickly in and out of jail. You brokered it for a hiatus where they held everybody else really it totally screwed over everybody else they all had to fail their finals so fortunately for me i didn't i got lucky i don't know how uh fast and furious five saved me i guess uh ended up doing well on all my final exams but then i ended up having to deal with repercussions but uh yeah so the, i guess the point for me the moment of realization was like my parents i was sitting in the car they were they were picking me up from school and they're like you know you could have had four years of school and had a really good time or you just went balls out for one year and now you're done. You don't really know what you're going to do. And I really had no idea. My, my prospects weren't looking good. I was looking like I was going to go to jail. It wasn't going to be a good situation. And I think that's when I realized it, how I had affected partly how I had affected my family, my friends. Like I just, it wasn't just about you anymore. That wasn't. That's you felt exactly. invisible and like, it was selfish, right? Like so you were just about yourself. You were young, you were care carefree. You didn't think, any, you know, they're not going to come arrest me. I'm just slinging weed in college. Like, they're bigger fish to fry here, right? But no, no, they didn't. So, so, so you, got, you, you got expelled, right? Yeah. And then what happened, man? Then I enrolled in a – well, I think before I touch on that, I think there's a really key lesson there. And, by the way, me feeling, like, invincible in that scenario, I think that that can apply to anybody. I think there's a lot of people that – you know, whether you're talking to a cigarette smoker that's like, oh, I know everyone else gets cancer, but I know that one dude who lived to 100 who smoked cigarettes. It's like, right. the, the odds are not in your favor. No, and statistically, no. Yeah, it's it, or, you know, if, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's like where we feel guilty that we do this, but we don't, we, we, we justify it in our minds. And that was me justifying it. And I think um, there are lessons like everyone's like, oh, well, I couldn't be a drug dealer. I'm not a drug dealer. It's like, well, I think if you switch it up a little bit, you might realize like you probably potentially do justify a couple things in your mind that um, might not, you know, be the best thing serving yourself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. Absolutely. So let's fast forward a little bit. You yeah. have this insight, you've grown on that, you've, you learned about second chances, and now you want to pay it forward and really you know, prepare people. So how did, how did, how did ambition come to life? Yeah. So ambition emotion came to life. I, uh, shortly after getting in trouble, moved to St. George, Utah, enrolled in a program called at the crossroads, helped me turn my life around, helped get me connected with mentors. That's what really clicked for me. One of the things that it helped me realize was that I have a horrible, like my background has got a big red X. So Dang, if you're looking at it on a linear sheet. Yes. Yeah, on a linear sheet, like it's, I've got a big red X. So if I'm going to get professional opportunities, because I, I did not let failure be an option for me. I mentally told myself I'm going to be successful. Like you're, yeah, you're smart. You, you have it in you. This is not going to define you. This moment is not going to define you, and it's not going to fuck the rest of your life. 
you fucked up, you're going to repent, you're going to pay, and now you got to get back on track. Bingo. That's exactly it. So I'm, uh, I moved to St. George, Utah, living there for about a month and a half, fly back to Chicago to let my family know just for the weekend, let me know my life's getting on track on that flight, sitting next to a guy. Turns out he's the director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines. By the time the plane lands, he offers me an internship doing financial analysis for SkyWest Airlines on the spot. Were you transparent with him in that conversation? You told him everything? I didn't even tell him all the stuff. I actually just practiced good listening skills. I was just doing Dale Carnegie of just, hey, so, you know, tell me about you. And he, I mean, this guy was wearing jean shorts, cut off sleeve t-shirt. He was wearing sunglasses on the airplane, goatee. I thought he was a landscaper on appearances alone. Right. Um, Turns out, yeah, he's the director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines, and um, we just talked. And the fact that I listened to him, I shared with him my goals and aspirations for business. He said, I like where you're at. I like your hustle. And he just he offered me, a, yeah, the job on the spot. He said, hey, you know what? We need a financial an an like analyst intern in our department. Uh, you know, we haven't really had any good candidates. I would love if you would be that person. You seem like you'd be a perfect fit. And I was like, all right, bam. And so, there, was, there wasn't any issues. I mean, I don't know, like technically where you can. They did. Yeah, they definitely did. They had to do the fingerprint test. And they're like, Troy, who is this guy that you went on a whim for? And yeah. Just, and you're working in an airport and we're post 9-11 and this doesn't fly. How did well, that... It's not an airport. It's like their headquarters. So it's corporate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Corporate, corporate place. But yeah, they, they all have the rules, HR regulations. And Troy was like, you know what? This guy's better than any applicants that I've had come in for the last, I don't know how long that they've been posting this job. I want this guy. So we're going to make this happen. I don't care about his background. And um, that was it. That was like, and, and I realized, you know, I was reading the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. He talks about the 10,000 hour rule. He says, if you spend 10,000 hours doing anything, you'll become world class at it. I realized that, man, I have to be infectious at networking and relationship building. So that's what I did. Three to five different people every single day. Started doing that when I was 19. Yeah, man. I've mastered that too, man. I mean, I look back and I could probably, add, I could probably add up 10,000 hours real quick years ago. Yeah. So anyways, so you build this network, build this network. Um, and about a year after living in Utah, I got really lucky. All my felonies were dropped to a misdemeanor conviction. They saw a lot of my, I did a lot of community service work in Utah. Um, especially in mentorship. That's kind of where I got first started in that whole kind of scene. Um, Indiana university re-enrolled me, the Kelly school of business accepted me. And that's when I came back and I had no social capital. Everyone had looked at me as a failure. Like my parents is like family friends were like talking shit about me, but like behind my back. But they know. weren't looking at the comeback story. Well, they, the they comeback story is awesome. Yeah, the comeback story is awesome. At the time, I was in the thick of oh. it, so I had embarrassed a lot of people. So when I came back, I still wasn't at the comeback story yet. It was like, what am I going to do about it? And this is when I realized I'm in the Kelly School of Business. They were rated the number one career service office in the country, 99% placement rate or something like that. And I thought to myself, this is fucked up because it's beyond placement. You know, sure, these parents want their kids to have jobs, but it's not just about the security of having a job, it's about being engaged in your work, feeling like you're doing something that's impactful and meaningful. And how can you align that? How can the expectations meet reality? And it, I didn't feel like universities were doing a good enough job. I got laughed, when I brought my idea to the career service office, I got laughed out the room. And um, I think that inspired me, like that told me I that was- reject, That rejection point that you, you wanted to prove them wrong. 100%, yes. Yeah. And so uh, that's where I got started. It was a grassroots effort to connect college students at Indiana University with alumni for mentorship and to get them acclimated to what they wanted to do. And then I started running workshops, teaching these skills about networking. And um, yeah, I mean, fast forward to now, we're on a little over 300 campuses. We are um, making an impact, changing lives. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories where we talked to students where like, they were like, I was lost and now I landed my dream job. 
That's amazing. So let's talk about the actual program for a little bit. And I, and I'm a true believer in mentorship and I do a lot of coaching with, um, in my professional recruitment, I talk to a lot of young candidates I talk to them about career. I talk to them about passion. How is your program structured? Let's, let's, let's peel back the curtain a little bit as much as you want and feel comfortable. Let's talk about how, how it works. How does it work? Yeah. So the way it works is like this. We'll partner with a university, an honor society, a pre-professional society, a fraternity or sorority. It's totally free for you to sign up. We've essentially completely innovated the whole pricing model. So then we've subsidized the cost to these entities Um, because we know that they're working on limited budgets. And the way our model works is like, if we don't deliver, we don't make money. So that's where we realized we're like, okay, that's a huge competitive advantage because, you know, competitors are like, Hey, we're going to charge you a big upfront fee. And then if nobody uses it, Oh, well, you're still paying for it. Yeah, exactly. So we were like, we'll make it for free and we only make money when we get users. So the way that who's going to say no to that. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. And the risk is on you. Mm -hmm. Totally. So the way it works is like this. Students sign up for the program. We have all students pay a $50 deposit. It's a deposit. They get it back at the end of the semester for successful completion. But if they blow up their mentor or if they blow up the program, they lose it. It's just essentially like, hey, we need to help hold you accountable. These mentors, these alumni are putting in their time and volunteering their time. We need to know that you're coming and prepared. So that's a huge thing. Right, you want to have skin in the game. Bingo. That's exactly it. The next thing, um, we run workshops teaching these students skills and, and, and um, tactics to go about making progress between mentor meetings. So when they're meeting with their mentor the first time, when they get to the second mentor meeting, something's happened between that. There's not like, hey, I've done nothing. Since then, there's coaching, there's guidance, there's goal setting, there's things that we're working on with the students to get them there. So then every meeting, there's progress. And then at the end of the semester, we have an employer network. So once you've successfully completed our program, what we'll do is we'll look at this thing called work orientation. So work orientation is part of how we match mentors and mentees together. It's how you view your work. So some people view the work as a job. Some people view the work as a career. Some people view the work as a calling. And just to briefly go over it, a job is... Yeah, let's, let's, break, let's break that down for everybody. Let's pause there for a minute. I think this is really important because I think as Garrett alluded to earlier before we started to go down this path, things move fast in life. You jump in next thing, you know, you're, you're going for your CPA, your CFA, you're taking all these insurance tests. You're like, I don't want to be selling annuities and stocks and bonds and all that crap. So let's rewind. Let's talk about work orientation here. Yeah, yeah. And not to get too nerdy, we're actually, we just applied for a grant in Industrial Society of Industrial Organizational Psychology on this. But essentially, work orientation looks like this, how you view your work. So some people view the work as a job. That means you're focused on work-life balance. That's totally okay. Nothing's wrong with that. Some people view, view the focus on career, which is I'm very promoted. I'm very motivated by promotions, working up that ladder. And then some people are motivated by calling, which is my personal mission aligning with my professional mission. If they're not in sync, I'm going to move. Um, so what we found, and by the way, it's a spectrum, so it can change based on the task that you're doing. Um, and it doesn't stay the same for your whole change with outside influence. It could change with age. There's a lot of X factors here. Totally. But where you are at in that given moment, we'll look to match a mentor and mentee together based on that, because we know that that's got a higher correlation of successful mentorship than just matching on career interest alone. But we've also started to observe that when you can match a company's culture. So if you look at like the people that are working in a cohort, and you look at what their work orientation is like, if you can match incoming candidates with that work orientation, those incoming candidates likelihood of being more engaged in their work and staying longer, like more retained, um, like longevity is higher. Right. It's fascinating. And what's, yeah. the, how, what's the duration of the program? What's your success rate? I want to just get a sense of the success on this one. Yeah. So the duration of the program is 12 weeks. 
So essentially one college semester. We also have a program for professionals too. So that one's a little bit different. It's less on like getting an internship, more on like how do you transition into a managerial role? How do you determine when it's time to switch jobs? Um, how to handle conflict in the workplace, that sort of stuff. So um, and then are you, are you placing the, these, these candidates, these students when they graduate, are you, are you placing them? How are you monetizing this? Yeah, so companies, what we'll do is we'll set up this, um, that, that algorithm. Essentially what we'll do is we'll have the companies take like a brief like one, two minute assessment and some of the people that they'll, that'll work with that intern or that junior employee. And then what we'll do is we'll look into our system and we'll say, okay, this candidate fits this role perfectly. So if you're looking to hire one person, we're only going to connect you with one person. We're not going to send a bevy of people at you and say, hey, okay. we know people don't like decisions. Like, you don't want a choice. You just want to know, like, wow, this person was specifically selected. Give, me the, give me the best possible candidate. Bingo. And that's exactly what we do. That's pretty laser focused, man. That's crazy. So what, like, like college students are interesting, right? You and I have both been there. Um, and I look back on college and I look at, this is kind of hard for me. And it's fucking crazy. I just turned 40 and I'm having this whole, like, life, like, looking back on things. And, and for me, it's like, I look back at all the mistakes that I made, all the failures, all the jobs that I've had, all the times that I got fired. And, and, and back then in those moments, it was crappy and it sucked and I had to go back on the job market. But looking back on it now, all those failures were building blocks of my success that I have today. And I noticed for me, the one common thread that I have each time is my tenacity. It's something I talk about, something I built this podcast on is tenacity. The guess I have on it, tenacity is that core strength, that core trait that I had from the beginning, that resiliency. What are some of the other traits that you see in your position now with your viewpoint and your optics looking at college kids, the ones that are going to be successful, what are some of those traits that they have now? Yeah, I mean, they may not know they have, true. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the truth. Um, I think what's key is I think tenacity is a huge part of it. And, and, and then those adjectives that go along with it. So grit, perseverance, hustle, um, those are all things that are crucial. But I think on top of that, I think having an open mind. So really by that, I just mean vulnerability. Vulnerability is the most attractive trait when it comes to mentorship. We know that those, when you are more vulnerable, you're likely to having a likelihood of having a successful relationship skyrocket. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, I mean, looking back like vulnerability now in, in the millennial, um, you know, bracket is, is such a core trait and some of them are so much more open in a good way and bad way. Right. I mean, it, it works in both directions. And I think back when I was in college, you know, at, at, the, at the turn of the century, did I just say that? When I was in college at the turn of the century, yeah. When I was in college at the turn of the century, it was a lot less social media. I mean, Facebook was just coming on board, really. No, Facebook wasn't even there. It was like MySpace and shit, right? But now in this age of like, you know, social transparency, I mean, everyone's putting themselves out there and they're making themselves more vulnerable. And I think like going back then, if I was a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more open and the defenses were down, I would be more open and receptive to listening during mentorship. And I think that's something that's changed a lot. Would you agree with that? Totally. I mean, I think, so I think there's a couple of points you brought up there. I think one point you brought up there was, I think if I'm hearing you right, was that when you were younger, you were potentially a little less open or receptive to mentorship. Is that correct? Correct. And then the second thing is that because of social media, it allows us to be more vulnerable just to other people, potentially strangers. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. I think um, those are two really good points. One, yeah, I definitely, I think social media does allow that. Um, but I think practice is key too. I think, and this is something that I've, I've learned, uh, from a mentor of mine. He's, uh, the CEO of a company called Lessonly. His name's Max Yoder. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, he, he, when he, he's taught me so much about just vulnerability and what I've really observed is that, yeah, when you're vulnerable with your team, so whether you're running a business or with your colleagues, 
you can get more things done and it can motivate other people around you to step up in the areas that you have the biggest concerns and fears of. Right. Radical transparency is a crazy concept, right? Yeah. And, I, and that's another thing going back to the workforce 25, 30 years ago, it didn't happen. It was very solid in thoughts and people are now being more mindful and open and saying, let's talk about what's not working. Let's maybe you're hot. Maybe something's holding you back and maybe, you know, my strength will balance your weakness. We're, we're in that, we're in that team environment here. That's crazy, man. I mean, I really absolutely love um, what you're doing here. So pivoting a little bit, um, Actually, no, no, let's go back to something here. You're, how many years into this into this business? Yeah, so I started the business when I was a sophomore in school, so May of 2013. But it was grassroots, like right. where we're at right now on a- Five, six years into it. Where do you see this business going in the next year? And then where do you see it being 10 years from now? Yeah, so in the next year, I see this getting to a point where we're on more campuses, we're facilitating more placements. And um, yeah, we're able to start- I see this becoming like the next wave of how hiring is done. I think we're going to start taking an even more like laser focus on culture, but really how it affects other people. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, somebody who is great at Google does not necessarily mean that this person is going to be great at another company. It just means that that person fit into that culture really well. And I think what we see so often is recruiters will be talking about like, or like recruiters internal for a company will say things like, oh, well, our culture is great. We've got a ping pong table and we got this and we like are really laid back or whatever. And those are amenities. But culture is essentially how you as an individual feel about the company and the work that you're doing. And I believe that we are going to start taking a laser focus on that and focus our hiring efforts on how do certain personalities fit within culture not just based on your past skills or what your past referrals say about you, but how you fit with that. And we are building that algorithm. We are building that knowledge base of really what personalities mesh well with each other. And I believe that we can, we will be the future of hiring and, and how companies go to find and source the right candidates because they're going to look at their team. They're going to say, who are the candidates that fit with our team? Not only do they have the skill sets, but also fit in it. And that's what we're, that's where I see the future of it going. And I can't wait to look back on this podcast 10 years from now and look at this conversation and say, no, nah, he called it 10 years ago. Here it is, people. It's like that Bezos moment. When you see that photo of Bezos sitting in that office with Amazon and like the spray paint on the wall. Yeah. Exciting, like right? exciting to start your own thing. It's exciting to watch it grow. And that hits the point. Let's talk about passion for a minute, right? Yeah. Pause, things that you care about. Like for me, my passion, and I never knew this until I went into recruiting. I've never, like, you know, when I worked in advertising, we had this in our chat when, when you and I connected a few weeks ago. Working as an account exec and like, you know, helping a company share, helping them put an ad out, that didn't do any good for anybody, right? And in recruiting, I help people get a better job, make more money, be happy in their careers. And that makes me happy too. And I have no problem saying that, right? And if I make a dollar on that, that's even better. You know what I mean? I get to monetize it. Like, how is this hitting your passion? Yeah, I mean, that's that how it's hitting my passion is I think I talked on touched on a little bit before, but I envision a world where the vast majority of people wake up in the morning excited to go to work. They feel like their expectations met reality when they're at work. And when they come home, they feel fulfilled like that vast majority. I'm not talking about some people because right, right now, 65% of people are not engaged in the work or actively disengaged. And there's also certain jobs that have to get done and there's people that do it. Sure, exactly. And I think even with that said, the key is that the expectations meet reality. And so I believe that there's a world, there's a situation where we can get to where your expectations can meet reality that you are going to be fulfilled by the work that you do. And that's the vision of the future. So that's what I'm passionate about is, is, is building a future where people aren't considering, like, I hate the word busy. Like, I swear, if I hear, like, anytime I hear anybody tell me that they're busy, I'm like, shut the fuck up. 
Like, I don't want to hear that shit. What you're doing is, is literally verbally closing yourself off to me. What you're doing is saying like, hey, I'm busy. What that says to me is that you don't have time for me, that you don't have time for anything else outside of what potentially you're doing right now, and that you're not enjoying the, enjoying the way that you're spending your time. Busy is like become this like this term that people use as like a general like, like a, a catch-all. Like exactly, it's a catch-all. That's exactly it. But it's like what's the alternative? I mean, I'm. I mean, like if if I'm if I'm using it in the context of time where I have a limit a limited a finite amount of time in a day, and my day is filled with with work, with family, with extracurricular stuff, and I have no other time. What what, what else do I say there? What's the alternative word? You say that what you're doing. I'm filled. I'm filled up right now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You don't tell them that you're filled up. You just say, Hey, I'm doing these things. Like, for example, I saw Kevin Hart. I think he was on Conan O'Brien or something like that. Conan O'Brien's like, Oh, so Kevin, you're filming these two movies. You've got these three TV shows going on. You've got these commercials going on. You've got all these things going on. You must be a pretty busy guy. And I love the way Kevin Hart put it. He said, you know, I'm not busy. I'm just optimally spending the time that I have the way that I want to spend it. Love it. Right. You're optimizing. I like that. I like that mindset. I'm going to, I'm going to switch to the mindset. So switching it up a little bit, you know, the the big hot topic right now, everyone's talking about the ROI of a college degree. And as a recruiter, I think I'm in an interesting position. There are certain jobs that will always for now require a college degree. There's certain skill sets where you need to have a certain type of education and background, doctors, lawyers, certifications, whatever. Then there's certain jobs like me, what I have, I think I could have had my whole career without college, but I also think for me, college was important because you know, it taught me to be an adult and it put me in a mindset to be inquisitive, to think. And it also gave me a platform to have internships and mentors, which is fantastic. What's, what's your stance on this whole ROI of college, a college degree? Yeah, um, I think at its current price, it's way too expensive. I think it's some bullshit that, I think it's bullshit that we are paying these prices for education. I mean, right now we are, we are, we are making a massive gamble. It's a, it's a gamble. Like the fact that college education, what do Where's they say? Where's the value prop? Well, th- there's a value. I think there's a ton of value in a college education. I think there's tons of value. I want to be very clear. I'm sorry. Talk about the, um, you're right. Let's correct. I'm talking about the ROI, return on investment for the dollars I'm putting into it. Exactly. There are people at this current state that are going to die in debt. Like that's just it from their college debt because that's the only like financial instrument where there is no cap on the amount of debt we can take out. So what it's done is it's essentially created these scenarios where universities can charge whatever they want to in tuition, and you're just going to feel obligated to pay for it because that is what we define as success. It's like if you don't have a degree, then you're not successful. That's a societal stereotype that we put on ourselves, and that's wrong, and I think that's a total misconception. I think we are working eventually towards a world where there is no cost of tuition. I mean, if you go to Sweden, there's no cost of college tuition. There's a lot of places that are always starting to do that, and there's a beneficial effect of it. I think what that does is it, one, it allows – people like humans to even themselves out in terms of their, their status, in terms of credentialing and that sort of stuff. But two, it also allows you to start thinking critically about what kind of education you want to pursue and when the right time is for you. I think we keep saying like, hey, 18 to 22, you have to go and do it. Maybe it's not. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, I said, I agree with you. I never even thought about that too. What if like 18 to 22, I did like I traveled or I did some kind of externship or you know, apprenticeship and I learned and I mentored and then maybe a few years after that, I had a different mindset and then I went to college having a little bit more insight into what I may want to be doing with my career path. Totally. I can tell you for me personally, I went to college right out of of high school and I really had no concept of the cost of the dollar or what it all meant. Like I was living with my parents, like in high school. I think there's a lot of people that do that. Most of Uh, us. I got accepted to college. And I just went to college. I never really had it. Like I had jobs, obviously I was a drug dealer, so I made money, 
but I didn't really think about what were the other expenses that I was being afforded because I was living in my parents' house who were feeding me, clothing me, and, and putting shelter over me. Yeah. And I never had a concept of that. And I, you know, I think once you start realizing that you then start to think about how, what is the optimal utility of my time and how do I want to best spend it? I think once you can start critically thinking about that, then you can determine like what kind of education you want to get, because this is the type of, this is the type of way I want to be spending my time. Not the type of work I want to be doing, but the way I want to be spending my time. I, I love it, man. And, and let's, let's bring it home here, man. Like what is, what is the single best piece of advice that you've ever received and taken action on? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, that's how I fire my, my guns are loaded, man. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the single best piece of advice that I've ever received? Um, you know, what I would say is, um, gosh, there's a lot of good pieces of advice. I, you know, I think one of the best pieces of advice I've received is, um, just sticking with it. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of, I've had many mentors and I think, um, I can't remember exactly who's, who said this, but essentially, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship or just anything that you're doing, like you would rather, I would rather be world-class at one thing than me be mediocre at everything. And so when I say just stick to it, if there's something that you're passionate about and there's something that I, you know, I was passionate about, I didn't give up on it and I stuck with it and the business was slow growing for the first, you know, three, four, five years. It took a while to start getting off the ground and now we're starting to get some traction, which is awesome, but I would not be where I'm at today had I not taken those lumps the first few years. And all I'm guess I'm trying to say is that, um, stick with it, whatever you were focused on, like stick to it. So often we get like this ADD about what we want to do. And like, if we're not at that promoted level at the thing, like area yeah. we're mm -hmm. going to be at, like we just quit and try something new and start at the bottom. And I don't think that does do good. I think you'd be better off focusing on it, becoming world-class at it, and keep hustling, hustling, hustling. Cause once you're the best in the world at it, I mean, no one can really touch you on it. I mean, no one's not many people in the world has spent as much time as I have focused on mentorship and what makes a successful mentor relationship. Like you can come to me for guidance on that because I have spent right around 10 years doing this. I love it, man. No, that's, that's spot on. And, and, and kind of riding that high right there, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment to date? Well, that's a, you know, that's a, I, honestly, I, I'm, I know this sounds like such a wishy-washy like answer, but I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I have an amazing team around me that supports me in, in what we're able to accomplish. I think, what do they say? Like the best entrepreneurs surround themselves with the smartest people. I truly believe I've got the smartest people around me and I feel lucky that I get to work with these super intelligent people, um, on a daily basis and that they're there to support this mission, this vision. We we're all together. So I, I'm very grateful. That's for awesome. That. That's, um, that's fantastic. And, 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 and I kind of think you hit on this a little bit earlier, but what is, what is your superpower? What is that thing that you do better than anybody? I mean, you said like, you know, teaching people how to mentor. I mean, but let's take that a layer deeper. Like what is that true superpower? Yeah. My superpower I believe is probably, um, relationship building and trying to build those relationships with people to figure out what makes them tick and how I can try to be as helpful as I can to them, no matter what situation they're in. I, I love it, man. And lastly, and if you're a fan of the show, you know, the last question that I always ask, you know, when things are going not so well, when you're yeah. 
when you just got busted. Yeah. Things are going shitty and you got to call your dad and have that terrible conversation. Yeah. The flip side, when we're having this conversation right now and I can see that smile that you're genuinely happy in your life and what you're doing, what do you look up to? What is your North Star, Garrett? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, so, and what, could you mind elaborate on that a little bit? Up in the sky, there's a North Star. And for me, you know, when, they're, when I'm not having a good day, when things are bad for me, when I'm roughing it, when I'm in the trenches, or when I just want to show gratitude, the one thing that pulls me up and everything I do is my family. It's my kids, right? It's a reason that when I was down in the dumps, when I got fired by Gary Vaynerchuk and I was out on the street and figuring out what the hell I was going to do next, I said, I have zero fail. I looked at my kids and I said, I have to do this for them. And that's what pulled me up. Yeah. No, that's a good question. I... I, I mean, I think there's a, there's multiple things. Like I do this for my partner. Her name's Dee. She's amazing. Um, I do this. I, I like to, I do this for the impact that I can make. I mean, I do this when, when, it, when someone comes to me and they say like, Garrett, you just changed my life or I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it weren't for the help or guidance from this program, it makes me feel really good. And so I think um, for me, yeah, my, my guiding North star is, is, one, my mission and just knowing what I want to accomplish in the world and knowing that I'm going to have unwavering, uh, like I'm, I'm not going to waver in my pursuit of that outcome. Um, and then two, I, I think, you know, the key thing is, and one thing you talked about was gratitude and meditation. I, that's something I do all the time. I do it every day. Um, but I think what's key is at the end of the day, you can only control the things that you can control. Like anything that are out of your control, I think there was a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Like there are things that are out of your control. You can't worry about those things. Like, you know, if, if, you, if you have things that are out of your control, the only things that you can do are the things that you can control. Now, there are some things that you may not realize you can control that you can't control. And that's the part, that's the pursuit of like tweaking and innovating and trying new things. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, there are certain things you cannot control and you can't stress about those things. You can only stress about the things you can't control. And if you know you haven't done enough, but you had time to do more, that's on you. And if you feel like there's nothing else I could have done to make this successful and I did everything I could, then that's, that's, you have to be happy with it. I think I, you know, I, listen, I think to myself, like, if I were to die in a car crash tonight, would I feel fulfilled? Would I feel like I did the things that I wanted to do? And my answer is, yeah, I, I love the way I've lived my life up to this point, I love the path that I'm on and I feel like I'm in a good direction. And I think, um, that's a goal. I think, you know, I have for myself and I think, you know, just, yeah, that's, that's, I guess my North star. Does that make sense? Garrett Mintz, everybody. That was good, man. And Garrett, thank you. Thanks for coming on. And just to close this one up here. I mean, I love what you're building here. We've had this conversation before one-on-one, -on -one, man. I mean, there's a need for it. There's a, there's a genuine market need for it. College students need this. And, you know, starting with them, many of them don't know where to start. They don't know when it comes to figuring out what to do in the real world. And I know in my junior, senior year of college, I was lucky to have an older student as a mentor who got me into an incredible internship program that really set me up for success. And most importantly, you know, I learned what I liked and I know I learned what I didn't like. So when I went out into the real world, I was able to go back on that, whether it be a job interview or reading a job description and really hone in on that. You hit on something that you and I both have in common. We're connectors. We're super connectors. That's what we do. We love building relationships. And you have your hands on both sides, and, you, and you're bringing it together to create synergy, and I love it. And we need a lot more of this right now, especially as so many college grads and, and you know, soon-to-be, they lack that direction when, it, when they're coming out of school. They just don't know. And especially we talked about the hot topic of the ROI of college. 
having some direction where to apply your education, your passion, and your interest, that's invaluable. And I really can't see, I can't wait to see where you take this, man. This is exciting. Garrett, where can folks connect with you? Where can they find you? I'm going to have all the links below. Where can we find you? Yeah, ambition-in-motion.com. So if you Google ambition and motion, you'll find us. If you are a mentor and you're thinking to yourself, I love to mentor somebody. If you are a student, you're like, I love to get a mentor. Go to our site. If we're not partnered with a university or an organization that you are a part of, just inquire below. We can set up a scenario where we can start working with your school. Because like I said, it's free for universities to sign up. Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to. Great stuff. And I'm going to have all those links below. Garrett, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels. Links below. You know where to find us. Subscribe, comment, and network. And remember, take your online offline. Just do it. Thank you for joining us. And catch us next week on another amazing episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode, jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com. <laughs>